Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about a message simply entitled Bridge Builders. And, uh, and we want to just kind of really just continue to prepare our hearts for what God, I believe, is doing here in our church. And, uh, and we're going to look at some exciting things this morning from Scripture. How many know that uh, God, through His Son, built a bridge? Amen? He built a bridge of restoration, a bridge of redemption, and a bridge of reconciliation so that each one of us could experience and know who God is. Well, this morning we're going to talk about how that we have been invited into that same process to be a partaker of what God is doing as He's reaching a world uh, that desperately needs to know Him. So let's look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 18. The Bible says that all of this is a gift from God. And the, all of this that he's talking about, if you back up and read the verses in front of it, he's talking about the fact that the love of Christ compels us to serve God because one man died for all men so that all men should live for one man. That's a pretty awesome thought. One man died for all men so that all men should live for one man. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creation, right? Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And so that is the gift that he's talking about. So all of this is a gift from God. Isn't it great to know today that your life can supernaturally be changed? If you're not happy with the life you're living, you can get a new one. Amen? You can get a brand new life through Jesus Christ. I mean, God takes trade-ins. Isn't that awesome? He will take your old, messed up, screwed up life, and He'll take it, and He will transform it into a brand new life so you can be a new creation. How many are glad you're not who you used to be? Amen? I am so thankful I'm not who I used to be. I'm so thankful that I have brand new life through Jesus Christ. And so Paul says that all of this is a gift from God. We didn't earn it. We didn't work for it. We simply received it. By faith, it is an amazing gift of God that God pours out on whosoever will. What an awesome thought, whosoever will. And then look at this, he says, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God brought us back to himself. And look at the next part of that verse, and God has given us, I want you to say that little two-letter word with me, and God has given Let's say it one more time. And God has given God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. Now the King James says God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. But I like that word task because uh, I really want to just say this to you this morning. If you're here today and you've been saved, you've been born again, then on your job description, let me just tell you something. God has a job description for your life. And part of your job description is that it is your task to reconcile people to God. That's a part of your job description. Part of your job description is that God says if you've been reconciled, you need to be a reconciler. If you've been brought back to God, then you need to bring other people to God. Now, statistics tell us that 95% of all Christians never do that. 95% of all Christians never lead one person into a personal relationship with Christ. But I believe we're going to blow that standard statistic out of the water here in Arab, Alabama. I believe we're raising up a church of people that say, you know what, because I've been reconciled, I've been brought back to God, I'm going to bring other people to know who Jesus is. Amen? I'm going to bring other people to know Him. And so that is the task that God has given us. 
And I'm going to be honest with you, as I was studying this out, I really kind of had this conversation in my head. I thought, you know what, God? I have missed it so many times. I have missed unlimited opportunities to share the good news of the gospel with people to help them come to know God. And I, and I just literally had this thought. I thought, you know what, God? Why didn't you give that task to the angels. I mean, you know, just imagine if every time somebody needed to get saved, an angel appeared from heaven with great big old wings and said, repent. You know, I would think people would get saved. It would be really neat, you know. But so I was thinking that thought. I said, God, why don't you just, you know, if you'd have gave that to the angels, there may, we, we wouldn't drop the ball so much, God. I wouldn't miss it so many times because I don't know how many times I've missed the opportunity to share the message of reconciliation with a world that needs to know God. And when I, when I had that little thought and I was carrying on that conversation in my head with God, the Holy Spirit very quickly prompted me. He said, Keith, he said, I have given the ministry of reconciliation to the right people. Because who better, who better to bring people to God than people that have come to God? Who better to share the message of reconciliation than the people that have experienced the power of reconciliation in their heart. See, you have something. You have a hidden treasure, the Bible says, that has been divinely deposited within you. And that is the gift of life that comes through Jesus Christ. And because you have been reconciled to God. How many know God's done something good? Anybody, has God done anything good in your life? Amen. I mean, do you, do you remember getting saved? Anybody remember getting saved? Man, how awesome it is to know that there was a moment of salvation where who I was, I no longer am. Amen. That my life was radically and supernaturally changed. And yes, God's still working on me. And God's still growing me. And God's still developing me. But there was an instantaneous transformation that happened where God shifted something, shifted. I went from being dead to being alive. All because of the grace of God. And God said, there is no better qualified person to minister and complete the task of reconciliation than those that have been reconciled. Because we know what it's like to be dead and now alive. We know what it's like to be blind, but now we see. We know what it's like to be broken and now be restored. We know what it's like to be bound and now be set free by the power of of the gospel and nobody is better qualified than you to share the message of reconciliation to a world that needs to know God so the Bible says God has given us the ministry of reconciliation look at the next verse for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. What a wonderful blessing. Amen. We ought to shout amen right there. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us. There's that word again. Let's say it together. And he gave. And he gave this wonderful message of reconciliation. I think sometimes when it comes to sharing our faith, we forget that we have a wonderful message. The gospel is not bad news. The gospel is good news, right? The gospel is good. The gospel, sharing the gospel is not about telling sinners how sinful they are. Sharing the gospel is telling sinners how good God is. How that there is a new opportunity for a new beginning that old things can pass away and all things can be made new and you can become a brand new person in Christ. And I think we forget that we have a wonderful message. It's wonderful. It's glorious. There's nothing greater that we can talk about than the wonderful message of God's redemption, reconciliation, and salvation that He has brought about 
in our own hearts and in our lives. So he has given us this wonderful message. Look at the next verse, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal, there it is again, through, through, God is making his appeal through us. Now, I'm not the sharpest crayon in the box, but I think God's trying to tell us something here. He has given us the task of reconciling people to himself. He has given us the wonderful message of reconciliation. And God is making his appeal through us. You are the vehicle through which God shares the wonderful message of reconciliation. He hasn't chosen the angels. He's chosen you. He's chosen me and you to be the instruments through which that wonderful message of reconciliation goes out into all the world so that people can know and experience God. Now let's look at the rest of the scripture. No, go back to verse 20. There we go. Thank you. God is making his appeal through us and we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We speak for Christ. When you share the message of reconciliation and you tell somebody they can come to God, or they can come back to God. You know what you're doing? You are speaking for Christ. You are being an ambassador of God. And you are sharing the wonderful message of reconciliation that people can know God and come back to Him. Amen? Right, look at verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God. King James says so that we could be made the righteousness of God. We have right standing with God today because Jesus paid the price for our sin. Our sin, our shame, our guilt, our condemnation was all laid on Him so we could know God. What an awesome message of salvation. Now I want to give you this. Look at the first point on your outline. I want to talk to you today about the ministry of reconciliation. And so as the Holy Spirit began to stir this message in me, and I really began to pray and, and look at the Scripture and study the Scripture and meditate on what God was saying, I just, I just really asked God this question. I said, Lord, how do we live it out? How do we live out that ministry of reconciliation? I'm going to be honest with you. When, when God gave me these two words, these were not the two words I expected. When I think about the ministry of reconciliation and I think about sharing the wonderful message of, of reconciliation with people, I automatically think about, man, we ought to be telling people about evangelism. We ought to be teaching people how to share their faith. And we ought to be doing all these things. And those things are essential and critical to us ministering reconciliation to the world. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me. and He said, Keith, he said, there are two foundation stones of reconciliation. If we're going to accept the task that God has given us to reconcile a lost and a dying world to Him through the message of His Son, Jesus Christ, there are two foundation stones that are required for us to really walk this thing out. And those two foundation stones are intercession and sanctification. 
And so today we're going to talk about how that through intercession and sanctification, God positions us to become a bridge of restoration so that the world can cross over and know God. There's a NRP church up in, uh, up in Pittsburgh, and every time somebody gets saved, the little terminology they use is they say somebody crossed over the bridge of life. That's what they say. They say, we're going to celebrate today because last Sunday we had three people that crossed over the bridge of life. And I want to say to you today, God wants you and I to be bridge builders. Amen? God wants us to build a bridge of restoration so people can cross over from the darkness into the light. They can cross over from their sin into His grace. They can cross over from their bondage into His amazing freedom. And how do we do that? Intercession, sanctification, foundation stone. So let's talk about these two things. Let's look at our first uh, point on intercession. So intercession is literally just standing in the gap between God and man. Intercession is standing in the gap between God and man. Intercession is not, not only drives back the darkness, but intercession also stops the righteous judgment of God. How many of you understand there are repercussions for sin? And not only does intercession drive back the darkness, but intercession also stops or stays the hand of judgment. Because how many of you realize today that what we deserve and what we need are not the same? See, we deserve judgment, but we need mercy. We deserve His wrath, wrath, but we need His grace. Right? That's the truth. That's the truth for me, that's the truth for you, that's the truth for our nation. America deserves judgment, but America needs mercy. America deserves God's wrath, but America needs God's grace. And the same is true of me and you. We deserve hell, right? If everybody in this room got what we deserved, we'd all get eternity separated from God in a place called hell. We deserve the wrath and judgment of God, but we need His grace. And we need His mercy because we are saved by grace. Amen? Through faith in Jesus Christ, not of our own. So intercession is literally standing between God and man. I heard a preacher years ago make this statement. He said it's a great thing or it's a good thing to speak to people about God. He said, but it's a great thing to speak to God about people. And I don't believe we're going to know. I, I really don't believe we're going to know the power of prayer and intercession until we get to heaven. Because let's be real honest with ourselves this morning. The reality, how many of you remember before you came to Christ? Anybody remember before you got saved? You remember those days? How many of you remember that the reality is is you should have died? <laughs> you should have died. Many of you shouldn't even be here today. The way you live, the choices you made, the decisions you made, the path you chose, you should not be here today. And the truth is, that's probably true for all of us. We all should not have made it. We should have never came to a place of grace and redemption and salvation. But you know what? When we weren't seeking God, somebody was seeking God for us. 
When we weren't praying, somebody was praying for us. When we weren't following God, somebody was following God and crying out for me and you. And I don't believe, I believe that we're going to get to heaven one day. And all of a sudden, when we get to heaven, we're going to get to see the, the fruit of our prayers. See, we don't always see the fruit of our prayers here on earth. But I believe one day when we get to heaven, we're going to get this great revelation that it was through the power of prayer and intercession that most of the people, let me just say, all the people are going to make it. Intercession is so important that the Bible says that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father where he ever lives to intercede. Intercession is so important that Jesus has committed his eternity to interceding for me and you. That's pretty powerful. If it wasn't that important, he probably wouldn't be doing it. Amen? But intercession has power and if we're going to build a bridge of restoration for people to come to God we've got to become intercessors we've got to become people that will begin to stand in the gap for a world that doesn't know God and let, let me just bring that down because we talk about the world we talk about America and the nations and sometimes that just seems very impersonal to us but I want you to think about how many of you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus anybody know somebody that doesn't know Jesus everybody if you don't know somebody that doesn't know Jesus go to Walmart You'll meet somebody that doesn't know Jesus. You probably won't have to get into the door very much. You'll, you'll meet somebody that doesn't know Jesus. How much time have we spent this week praying for those people? How much time have we spent this week Praying for the people that we know don't know God. See, the reality, and I'm guilty, is we get distracted by living our lives and we forget about the fact that people are dying every day without God. People we know, not strangers that you've never met, people you know. People you work with, people in your family, people you go to school with, people you know are literally hanging on the brink of eternity without God. And we think praying about all this other stuff, which is nothing wrong with that. I think we to, the Bible says we ought to pray about everything. So you ought to pray about everything, but you ought not forget the one thing... <laughs> that can make an eternal difference in somebody's life. See, the reality is, I think all of us, if you've been saved any amount of time, all of us probably know that we're here today because somebody prayed for us. Somebody stood in the gap for you. Somebody interceded for you. Somebody cried your name out to God when you weren't seeking God, when you were running from God. There was somebody on their face, somebody on their knees, somebody walking a floor somewhere, somebody crawled up in their closet praying. There was somebody doing something through the power of intercession that was crying out for you. And we are here today because somebody prayed. And God said to me very clearly, he said, Keith, he said the key, the, the, the key, one of the keys to the ministry of reconciliation is there has to be a spirit of intercession that has to be released in my life, in your life, in the body of Christ. Where we begin to really take seriously the reality that people are dying without God. And it's not about not having a good life. It's about an eternity in hell. 
And we have the power. We have the power through intercession to stand in the gap. Let me give you a great scripture. It's uh, Numbers chapter 16. Verse 41. Let me give you a real quick background on the story. You ought to go home and read Numbers 16. Numbers 16, a man by the name of Korah incites a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And he gets 250 of the leaders of the nation of Israel. And they come to Moses and Aaron. And they basically say, you're not the only one that can hear from God. We believe you're trying to keep us down. And we're going to take what rightfully belongs to us. Well, God says, okay, let's have a little contest. And we'll see who I've chosen to be my leaders. He said, tomorrow, he said, let Korah and the 250 men that are with him, let everybody bring their, their incense before the Lord. And he said, and I'll show up and I'll choose, I'll show the nation of Israel who my leaders are. So the next day, 250 guys showed up with Moses and Aaron. They all had their little incense burners, burning incense before the Lord. They come before the tabernacle of God. God shows up and with a consuming fire, consumes 250 of those guys to ashes. And then... Where their homes were, their families were, and their livestock were, God opens the ground up, swallows them, and closes the ground. How many know sometimes God has enough? And God very clearly and very pointedly declared who his leaders were. And so that is exactly what had happened. Now verse 41 is we're coming into the story of the next day. So the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began to mutter against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the Lord's people. And as the community gathered together to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle, and they saw that the cloud had covered it, and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came and stood in the front of the tabernacle, and the Lord said to Moses, listen to God right here, get away from all these people so that I can instantly destroy them. Sometimes God has enough. Amen? And the children of Israel had rebelled and 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 rebelled. Actually, ten times the Bible records in the wilderness journey to the promised land, they rebelled against God. And so God finally came to a point. He said, okay, Moses, let's just get away. I want you and Aaron just to get away from all the people because I'm going to wipe them all out. But I want you to see the heart of Moses and Aaron. And I want you to see the power of intercession. God was wanting to destroy the people. Moses and Aaron fell down, fell face down on the ground. They fell before the Lord in the presence of God. And look at the next verse. And Moses said to Aaron, quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with the Lord. Now, incense in the Old Testament represents prayers. It represents the prayers and intercession of the saints. And so what did Moses and Aaron immediately begin to do? When the anger of God broke out against the children of Israel, God was wanting to wipe out the nation, and Moses and Aaron, in intercession, began to cry out to God. And Aaron runs out there with a burning incense, representing prayer and intercession into the people. And the Bible says, the Lord's anger is burning against them. The plague has already begun. Look at the next verse. And Aaron did as Moses told him, and he ran out among the people, and the plague had already begun to strike down the people. But Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. Look at verse 48. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. And he stood. 
with incense burning, with prayers of intercession lifting. He stood between the living and the dead as an intercessor before God. And when God saw an intercessor, you know what he did? He stopped the plague. Now you may say, well, why in the world God do that? Let me just tell you something. You can't be a just judge and ignore wickedness. God is the judge of all the earth. And his holiness demands justice. And you can't be a just judge and condone wickedness. Now imagine for just a minute if somebody stole your car, cleaned out your bank account, and burned down your house, and you, they get caught by the police and you go before the judge and the guy says, well, you know what, I did steal their car, I did steal all their money, I did burn down their house, but I'm really sorry. And the judge says, well, you know what, I think you're sincere and you probably mean that, so I'm going to let you go. You would be livid. <laughs> you, would, you would begin to pound your, I want justice. You would say, you are an unjust judge because just judges uphold the law. Children of Israel had violated, 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 violated the law of God. And a just judge must execute justice. But I want you to see something. God is looking for intercessors because when Aaron ran out among the people, he stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. Let me give you another thought. Let's look at our next point. God is looking for intercessors. I just said that. God is looking for people that will invoke the mercy and grace of God. The holiness of God demands justice, but the goodness of God is looking for reconciliation. God is looking for an opportunity to show mercy and grace. God is looking for an opportunity to show mercy and grace. God's holiness demands justice, but His goodness is looking for an opportunity. All God needs is a good excuse to show mercy and grace over a people and stay the hand of judgment and sin from off their life. God is looking for an excuse. Intercessors give God a reason to show mercy and grace when what we really deserve is judgment. We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath. But God, what we need is mercy and grace. And it's through intercession that that happens. When we pray and stand in the gap for people that don't know God, what are we doing? We are giving God a reason to stay the hand of judgment and show them mercy and grace. And let me just say to you, if we're not careful, we'll allow hurt. I mean, I mean, how many of you have ever been hurt by somebody? Anybody? And sometimes we get so deeply hurt, if we're not careful, we'll get so deeply hurt, we'll get disgusted, we'll get angry, and we'll begin to cry out for justice. Now, God is a God of justice, and God wants to execute justice in the earth. But how many of you know when it comes to an eternal soul, people don't need what they deserve. <laughs> they need what we got. 
And that was the mercy and the grace of God. And it, and it, it really cringes my heart when I hear people speaking judgment on our nation. America deserves judgment, no doubt. We're killing unborn babies. We're legalizing sin. We're condoning immorality. We are a wicked and a perverse nation. And we deserve judgment. But the hope for America is mercy and grace. That God would send a mighty move of the Holy Spirit. That revival would break out and restoration would come. And the wind of His Spirit would begin to revive the hearts of believers. And that souls would be saved and lives would be changed. We deserve judgment, but we need God's mercy. And somebody ought to cry out. Somebody ought to stand in the gap. Let me let you look with me in Ezekiel chapter 22. Because Ezekiel chapter 22, we get an amazing picture of the nation of Israel, which is very correspondent to the condition of America right now. And again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. In the day of my indignation, you will be like a polluted land, a land without rain. Your princes, now a better word for princes today may be politicians, so let's read it that way. Your politicians plot conspiracies just like lions, stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, they seize, seize treasures, and exhort wealth. They make many widows in the land. Sounds familiar? Your priests, let's bring that home. The preachers, the pastors have violated my instructions. They have defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. How many understand we have churches now in America condoning, um, condem uh, celebrating what God condon condemns. Condoning what God condemns. That's what I'm trying to say. And they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremony, clean, unclean, and they disregard my Sabbath day so that I am dishonored among them. So, so the White House... And the church house is corrupted in Israel, right? This is what's happening. The White House is corrupt. The church house is corrupt. Look at the next verse. Your leaders, that could be anybody in any position, are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives for money. That sound familiar? The world we're living in today? And your prophets. Let's go back to church again, okay? Not enough we got the preachers, but now we got the prophets, Right? The prophets are covering up for the leaders, making false visions and making lying predictions. They say, my message is from the sovereign Lord when the Lord hasn't spoken a single word for them. So from the White House to the church house, there's corruption. Now look at the next verse. And even the common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. So the White House to the church house to the poor house. Everybody's messed up in Israel. Everybody. I mean, it sounds like a pretty dire state of the nation. Their leaders, their politicians, their preachers, their prophets, and even the common man are oppressing the poor, robbing the needy, and depriving foreigners of judgment. So Israel is in a dire state of depravity. Now look at the next verse. And in the midst of their sin... And perversion, God says, and I looked. God's looking for intercessors. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall 
so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. God says my holiness is demanding justice, but my goodness is looking for a reason not to destroy the land. And the thing God was looking for was an intercessor. He was looking for somebody that was willing to pray. Pray for their nation. Pray for their family. Pray for their community. Pray for the people that didn't know God. God was looking for people to stand in the gap. We are that people, guys. We are that people. Now, let me just tell you the great thing about prayer. Everybody can pray. Everybody can pray. You can pray at home. You can pray at work. You can pray driving down the road. You can pray laying on your face. You can pray standing on your feet. You can pray in your bed. You can pray beside your bed. You can pray in the morning when you're getting ready. You can pray at night before you go to sleep. Everybody can pray, and prayer changes things. The bridge of reconciliation is established through intercession when we begin to pray, when we begin to intercede, when we begin to circle our family, our friends, our co-workers, and they're not in the will of God, so we're going to pray them in the will of God. We're going to pray the will of God around them because they're not doing what God wants them to do, and we're going to intercede for our nation. If we want to see real change in our city, our state, our nation, it begins with intercession. It begins with us getting a heart of prayer. That says, you know what, God, I'm going to spend some time every week praying for the people that I know that don't know you. Don't even worry about the people you don't know. Just think about the ones you do know. If everybody in this room began to intercede for the people that we know that don't know God, all of a sudden, God would begin to work in such an amazing way. They would come to the revelation knowledge of the truth. When I pray for lost people, I pray that God would visit them, that they would have a divine visitation from heaven, that they would experience the undeniable presence and power of God, and that God would show up and show out in their life in such a way that they could never deny the reality of who He is or what He wants to do in their life. What would happen if we all started praying consistently? I want to tell you a couple things that would happen. Number one, we would get a real burden for people. You know, we don't talk about the power of a burden too much in church anymore. I want to tell you something. God wants to give you a burden. God wants to put a weight on you that you can't shake. God wants to put a weight on you that you can't shake. A weight called a burden, the burden of the Lord, that compels you to do something because people are dying and going to hell. And if we can't do anything, you know what we can do? We can pray. And it ain't got to be elaborate prayers, and it doesn't have to be pretty prayers. It's just got to be prayer. All you got to do is start talking to the God, talking to God, and start standing in the gap and say, "God, I just pray for I pray for Billy. He doesn't know you, God. I don't know what it's going to take, but I ask you to do that in his life. Lord, touch Billy." And all of a sudden, you begin to become a warrior, a weapon that God uses to let to build a bridge of reconciliation for people to come to God. Now, the second thing is sanctification. Sanctification. The word sanctification literally means to be set apart. It means to be consecrated and dedicated for the Lord's work. Sanctification is not just about coming out of sin. It's about drawing near to God. And we need sanctification in the body of Christ. We have way too many people in the local church today, people that want enough of Jesus not to go to hell, 
but they don't want enough of Jesus, so they've got to change the way they live their life. That's not sanctification. Sanctification is that I am dedicating my life, God. I'm dedicating and setting my life apart for your glory. And it's through sanctification that, that we build a bridge of restoration, salvation, and transformation that allows other people to come to God. Intercession operates in the realm of the Spirit. But sanctification operates in the realm of the flesh. What do I mean by that? People are watching you. People are watching you. And if we're going to build a bridge of restoration and reconciliation so people can come to God, guess what? Our life has to match His message. Our life has to match his message and if your life doesn't match his message then instead of you being a bridge of reconciliation you become a stumbling block of offense that causes people to turn away from God instead of crossing over to know God so before we want to be preaching we need to first be sanctified so we can be living the life that God has called us to live. Now let me give you a thought, your next point on your outline. This is Keith Hodge's opinion 100%, but I'm going to give it to you anyway today. <clears throat> Look at the next point on the outline. Let's put it up there. We're going to come back to John 17. I'm convinced that 99% of the people who reject the gospel are not rejecting the gospel. They are rejecting the people who share the gospel. I'm convinced that 99% of the people that are rejecting the gospel are not really rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting the fact that you confess to be a Christian, but you live like a sinner. You confess to be a Christian, but you're sleeping with your girlfriend. You confess to be a Christian, but you're addicted to pornography. You confess to be a Christian, but you're cussing like a sailor. You confess to be a Christian, but you're cheating on your taxes. You're confessing to be a Christian, but you're dishonest in your business. You're confessing to be a Christian, but you're living like a heather. And that, that is why people reject the gospel. Nothing wrong with this. If anybody knew what this said, they'd beat the doors of our church down to get in here. The problem is not the gospel. The problem is sanctification. When our lives don't match his message, instead of building a bridge, we create a barrier of offense that keeps people from knowing God. Now, let me just say this to you. We all make mistakes. We all stumble and fall. And I have found out that when I make a mistake and stumble and fall, guess what? People are watching. <laughs> but you know what the godly thing to do is when you stumble and fall and you make a mistake, you get up and you go to that person and say, man, I just want to apologize to you. The way I acted is not the way a Christian should act. And I want to ask you to forgive me because I really value the witness that I have as a Christian. I want to make sure my life is encouraging people to come to Christ and not discouraging them. And when you do that, you know what happens? They still saw your mistake and your stumble, but now they respect you because you're real. And they can overlook our mistakes if they can see the genuineness of our heart that says we're living a life set apart for God's glory. 
Now let's go back to John 17. John 17, Jesus is speaking. And John sa Jesus says this. He's praying to the Father. He says, sanctify them. He's talking about his disciples and those that are following him. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And thou hast sent me into the world, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And, and for their sakes, look at that. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus said, I sanctify myself so they may be sanctified by truth. Why? Because you can't receive the message if you're stumbling over the messenger. I'll say it again. You can't receive the message if you're stumbling over the messenger. People aren't rejecting the message. They're rejecting the messengers because they're seeing a spirit of hypocrisy and a double standard in the church where we profess one thing and we live another thing. We profess holiness and we live unholy. We profess purity and we live impure. We profess righteousness and we live unrighteous. Now I want you to read with me uh, Romans chapter 2. I want you to see this. Paul says, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants and you know what is right because you have been taught his law. And you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. If you think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God for you are certain that God's law gives you the complete knowledge of gives you complete knowledge and truth well then if you teach others why don't you teach yourself you tell others not to steal but do you steal you you say it's wrong to commit adultery but do you commit adultery you condemn adultery but do you use items stolen from pagan temples you are so proud of knowing the law but you dishonor God by breaking it no wonder the scripture says the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you you're proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the Gentiles blaspheme God because of you. People ought to look at our lives, and there ought to be a divine difference. Not perfect, but a divine difference. They ought to be able to see something different in the way you act, the way you live, the way you speak. See, if you look like the world, talk like the world, and act like the world, then you are of the world. Jesus said, you know a tree by the fruit that it bears. There ought to be a divine difference. I heard an evangelist one time ago, he said, a difference that makes no difference is really no difference at all. Right? If you say I'm different, but you don't actually live different, then there really is no difference. If the only difference between you and the world is to come to church on Sunday while they sleep in on Sunday, then there really is no difference. You're just hanging out at different places on Sunday morning. There ought to be a radical difference. And the process of sanctification is really just about daily surrendering and setting your heart and your life apart for God. It says every day, God, I'm yours. Every day, God, I'm yours. So I want to ask you this closing question, last point on your outline. Are you a bridge or a barricade? Are you a bridge or a barricade? 
I heard a preacher say not long ago, he said, yeah, God's moving and we're seeing people saved. He said, unfortunately, many times I feel like God has to work in spite of us instead of through us. I do realize God works in spite of me many times. But I don't want that to be the standard. I don't want to be a barricade. I want to be a bridge where people can come to God. Through intercession and sanctification, by setting my life apart, it says, you know what? I'm going to actually live what I say I believe. I believe in purity. I believe in holiness. I believe in righteousness. I believe in doing the right thing. I believe in treating people right. I believe in loving my neighbor. I believe in going the extra mile. I believe in walking in forgiveness, and I believe in walking in grace. I believe in showing compassion to those that have wronged me and come against me. I believe in praying for my enemies and blessing those who curse me and persecute me. Why? Because I'm a child of God. Jesus gave the ultimate example right on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Are you a bridge? Are you a barricade? Are people having to go around you to come to Jesus? Are they getting saved in spite of you? Or are they getting saved because of you? Man, that's a big question, guys. Not just for Easter, not just for one time of the year, but every day of our lives. And when we fail, we can get back up. And when we stumble, we can rise again. But we can do this thing, guys. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation because he knew through his grace through his power we could do it now think about it for just a minute what would happen if 500 people locked hearts and what would happen if 500 people walked out of this church today and began to pray and live the life that God's called us to live. I want to tell you what would happen. We would create a highway. We would build a bridge so big. We couldn't build a, big, a building big enough to hold the people that would come. They would come. They would come. Why? Because number one, we'd pray them in. Number two, we'd live a life of sanctification that would allow them to walk through us to know Him. We would be a bridge that would help people cross over let's build a bridge together today man let's build a bridge in arab alabama so great that heaven takes notice and that god begins to flock souls into this place because of his grace at work in you let's stand to our feet this morning